while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Marcus, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. So, uh, again, at 9 o'clock, we're going to have Ben Burke uh, from uh, the Providence's NPR Public Radio on. He's going to talk about um, a story that he has uh, over some potentially secret dealings um, that uh, for the city's state pier, which I think... It's a it's a it's a very good story. Um, so there's potentially some I don't want to say underhanded, but there's some secret dealings going on uh, with the potentially bidding for the state pier in New Bedford, um, and so different elected officials in the well, I'll say one different elected official uh, from the rest of them have opinions on how the state pier should. Uh, be handled going forward. Just got an update uh, officially on the the methadone clinic um, on the ruling the Zoning Board of Appeals methadone clinic uh, proposal. And the Zoning Board of Appeals voted five to zero, unanimously five to zero to deny the special permit for the methadone clinic for uh, for RCA. They voted to deny it. Um, they voted to deny it. So that special permit for the methadone clinic at, uh, in downtown New Bedford has been denied we, I guess we'll see if there's any litigation to follow. My guess is that there will be litigation to follow. And that um, the outcome of that litigation, I don't know. But that's my best guess is that they're going to um, try to get this done via uh, via the, that um, via the courts. So... Five to zero, the ZBA shot down the methadone clinic proposal. So that's the update I got. Happened just now. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Um, What were we talking about? I totally forgot. So I was actually moving a bit away from that. I mean, if you want to call or, you know, if you want to call or message me to talk about that, um, 
then, you know, you know the number 508-996-0500. But uh, so basically, um, it's seems like again we don't know the there might be some state law that protects um i'm hearing about 20 people were at the by the way for that meeting i'm hearing about 20 people were there and it was fairly civil so sometimes these public hearings when it become when when there's a hot button issue i don't know if there's ever been one uh or we might get a call actually we might get a call from someone at the meeting so, or on the, or, or just with an opinion on the meeting. So we'll get that call uh, momentarily. But so the Zoning Board of Appeals, again, if you're just tuning in, voted five to zero, five to zero to um, shoot down the special permitting for the methadone clinic. Good evening. Marcus, how are you? Barry. So Barry Sylvia used to be the 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 chair of the zoning board of appeals back in the day um so what's your thoughts on this ruling so a couple of things um here's the way that the special permitting process works and the um uh and the variances it's a super majority i don't want to get into the complexity with your audience about the vote of how much uh, um what the board vote has to be as opposed to just a majority but two things. So the application process, right? So let's just say, let me bring it down to the level of your audience. Say I'm a homeowner and I want to put up a shed, something simple. So I would go to the building department and I would fill out a permit similar to what the methadone clinic had to do. And then I would be rejected by the city for the permit that I've applied for. My appeal, the appellate process, your attorney better than me can explain this if I, if I am not clear to your listening audience, Marcus. But the appellate is to go to the Zoning Board of Appeals for my denial for the permit that I applied for at the city level. Okay. Then I go to the Zoning Board of Appeals. Yeah. And then, so, so two things. When I was chair uh, of the ZBA, I thought that it was a conflict that the city represented by city lawyers, New York City solicitors. Uh, I'll keep it simple so your audience can understand. So if I want to put up a shed or if I want to do something at, you know, my own house and I get rejected, then that rejection is defended by the city solicitors, correct? Sure. Makes so sense. So that's defended by the city solicitors. Now, yeah. these boards, whether you're, um, you know, the retirement board, the licensing board, um, you know, I'm already bored listening to Barry Sylvia, but this zoning board of appeals. So I thought that they needed to have their own legal representation because of the conflict. And, and this happened with the yeah. uh, with the Coffin Avenue Mills. But real quick, so now it goes to the ZBA. The ZBA. It, it was weird that we had city attorneys sitting there advising the zoning board of appeals. And by the way. We're, we're part-time people. We're the average Joes that are that, are, that are part of the. Yeah, I, I kind of I I understand what you're saying. Like if they're there, they're supposed to be. They're they'll eventually defend the city in a. I mean, they'll eventually defend the city in a lawsuit too. So you're basically just. It's almost like Marcus. Isn't it a conflict? Yeah, oh, it's almost like an assurance that that something like that well, would get denied because you've you've got and lawyers. Then, and then yeah, exactly, yeah. son. And then you have the right to appeal, and it has to be performed. 
within so many days, you have to march up the street to Superior Court. Mm-hmm. So then what happened with, with me, with the, with, I mean, I was on the front fold of the standard time 17 and a half times, but what happened was, was that the city attorneys just didn't defend the case. So, so if, if a mayor administration wants it to go through, they just don't send the lawyers, yeah. the lawyers up to Superior Court. So this is a weird, weird situation. And we, we appoint, uh, we actually approved the methadone clinic here in the South End off of Route 18. Sure. You know that one? Yeah. So we, we approved that one. Um, you know, I know you're empathetic to the cause. What, what needs to be done, I wasn't part of the hearing. I don't know the particulars of it, but, oh, my God, right? If the if the administration wants this thing to go through, they simply don't provide legal representation to defend the decision of the zoning board, which I think that whole thing needs to be revamped, by the way. What do you mean? Well, I believe that because every applicant fills out their own application for the ZBA to 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 appeal the city's decision of a denial for an application the 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 permitting process requires them to pay an amount and these boards are supposed to be autonomous to the city right so that's where i thought that we could take those amounts and and once you as a major city establish a zoning board of appeals it's it's on the books with the state there are other cities that have their own zba have their own legal representation independent of the city's lawyers interesting i thought that it only made sense that we could take the fees that get paid for the application, and some of these fees are like three, five grand. Yeah. That that we could we could hire separate attorneys, so right. there's no conflict of interest. But anyway, my two cents, and maybe you can re-explain it as being an attorney. No, that that makes sense to me because like you have attorneys that are defending, like they could hire outside counsel for retention on on ZBA matters, right? Because uh, you have cities, you do have city attorneys def- uh, that are basically going to be representing the city, denying this permitting, and then they appeal to a board that is appointed by the city, but still supposed to make independent, autonomous uh, decisions. Amazing, amazing insight! Because the process begins with an application to the city, yeah. Then it reverts to the appellate, which is an independent board, yep. And then the defense of it is going to go back. To the city right and, 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 the, and the attorneys advising it are working for the city and going to be defending it in court in the first place so it does seem like it does seem like crystal clear and then yeah. one last thing you being an attorney son you can you know uh chapter 30b on procurement to hire an attorney uh just like um you know whether it's wib or or, or um you know the Harvard development or uh, you know the port authority you don't have to procure the the services of an attorney you can yeah. just appoint an attorney. It doesn't even have to be procured under an RFP. So the ZBA, they could have just said, hey, listen, you know, five of us come to a, a consensus that we want to hire Marcus Farrow to be our own independent lawyer. And that's it. It's a done deal. How it, how it ever got to this, Marcus, totally beyond me. And I finished my term and, you know, left with a... Didn't look back in the rearview. What's your decision? So, as someone who has approved a methadone clinic before, what is your decision? I mean, what is your opinion on the um, the ZBA's decision tonight to deny it downtown? Two things. I believe the people on the ZBA are are not arbitrary and capricious decision makers. I believe that they're. uh, I know all of them. I believe that they are a deliberate board. So, having not been there tonight. And having been someone that has been through 
uh, multiple methadone and uh, needle exchange uh, applications. So what comes into play is the location and what the neighborhood's input is on that location. Not all locations are the right ones, Marcus, by the way. Mm -hmm. So we actually did hear a um, uh, there was was one location next to the Boys Club on uh, Mill Street. Oh, no. Is it the YMCA or the Boys Club? Over by uh, uh, Sergeant Field. Uh, Uh, Boys Club. they, they 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 came in to do a change of location yeah which basically was an administrative change we didn't even need to hear the case okay but i put it on the agenda to hear what the neighborhood would have to say mm-hmm. especially being close to the boys and girls club and the veterans transition all that so there was a lot of opposition um and the uh, obviously as you know as uh, having a real estate license you first have to obtain the use to be able to uh have a person's sales agreement to move to another location it's, it's a complicated process so we heard it, and it was just too much opposition, and the board, I was chair, I cannot make a, uh, a motion, so motions were on the floor, I'm the last person to vote. It already went down, and it was based on the input of, the, of that location. Second one was over here next to Bayline Marine off of Route 18, Marcus. Yeah. You know what that is. Mm-hmm. So it was a new facility, and um, you know the surrounding community, there was very little opposition. And, and it got permitted. So two things. My takeaway is is that it's not that we don't want methadone clinics because it, it only betters our community if we can help these people. But not every location is the right location. And maybe they just need to think outside of the box and work with the city and, and try to come up with something that's more um, uh, amicable to the, to the neighborhood and the surrounding community. Sure. That makes sense. Um, so... Uh, Barry Sylvia, former president uh, of the Zoning Board of Appeals, is there anything else Chair, that you think is worth Chair, mentioning Chairman on this? Marcus. What? Chairman Marcus, I'm not chairman. I'm not ever going to run for president. I'm, I'm <laughs> chairman. Cover. Chairman. Run for cover. Chairman. Former, former chairman. So is there is there anything else that you think is important to, to add to the conversation on this? No, I, I would just, it, it's, it's high profile. I would just say that the people that are on the ZBA, that, you know, unless you went to the meeting, unless you read all the documents, that it might be a topic of discussion. But I don't know any member, whether it was on my board or this board, that would be making what we would have to use the appellate process to determine that they made an arbitrary and capricious decision. Yeah. I don't think that they have that bone in their body, Marcus. Right. And just respectfully leave it at that, sir. Thank you very much, Barry. I appreciate uh, your insight on this. Marcus, do you, do you want to cut me off? Do you have to go? Are you going to hold me to that? I love you. I don't Take have care. to hold you. I don't have to hold you. <laughs> Make sure I'm on your Christmas list, Marcus. Take care, pal. Bye. We're actually, I got to figure out how we're going to work out our Christmas special this year. Because uh, last year when we did it, it was great. We filled in for Barry. It was uh, the afternoon on Christmas Eve. We got phone calls from everybody. Ian Abreu ran us some coffee milk. Uh, uh, that was courtesy of his uh, Silmo syrup. Um, but now to, uh, there's we got a new show. It's at night. We don't know. It's Christmas Eve on a Saturday. So we got to figure out actually the, the Christmas Eve special. So. All right, um, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. I'm going to take a break, and then we'll be right back. 508-996-0500. Good evening. 
Hey, Marcus, how you doing? Hey, Tom, what's up? Well, I think uh, Barry w- w- was pointing to this arbitrary and capricious uh, language uh, for some type of purpose. I'm wondering if, you know, w- when this thing does get go to litigation, is that a hurdle that the applicant must overcome before he can have access to that uh, Supreme Court ruling that you guys were talking about? Yeah, um, I, it could be. I mean, that might be the standard. That might be the legal standard, you know, arbitrary and capricious. Uh, that's, I mean, that's typically like it's, it's, I mean, a pretty standard review for like a, a judicial appeal and all of that. Arbitrary and capricious. If the ruling was arbitrary and capricious, that's, that would be probably maybe what RCA is arguing um, when they appeal to the Superior Court in Bristol County. So that might be. Yeah, that might be that might be it. Second question: uh, When the mayor vetoed the uh, city council's approval uh, on the residency requirement for the a- uh, applicant, they they uh, made a motion just to receive in place on file. Yeah, claiming with an advisory opinion from the council attorney that yeah. uh, there was no jurisdiction from the mayor's office on on that particular item. But that right. was an action that the council took. I always understood that a veto. Uh, if it isn't overridden, stands. So the, 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 does that mean that the, the mayor's veto stands? Uh, um, I mean, I mean, in order to do that, a, a veto that isn't overridden does stand. But in order to do that, the mayor, because what they're saying is the mayor veto, mayor's veto is 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 like a purely symbolic gesture because he doesn't have the power to veto that residency waiver. So the only way to make that in action, the inability to veto that, in order to make that enforce the veto enforceable, would be would be to pursue a legal avenue, and I guess argue as a matter of law or a matter of city charter that successfully in court against, I guess, the city council's attorney that um, the veto was in fact valid, and then that veto would be operative. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that, that was my question for tonight. Sure. Uh, uh, wait, is Chris uh, not coming in tonight, or is Chris, he on? Chris will be on. Chris will be in. Uh, Chris will be in tomorrow. He should be in tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So, yeah, I think um, that's where we're at now. Uh, I appreciate Barry's insight on that. Um, being a, a former um, chair of the zoning board of appeals, uh, so five to nothing, I, more or less what was expected, um, but. We'll uh, we'll see going forward. I mean, we couldn't get. There is going to be litigation, a hundred percent. RCA is going to. They're not just going to be like, oh, well, guess we lost. Gotta go home. It's a multi-million dollar corporation, right? They're they're going to fight that. They're going to fight it hard. So, city's got to gear up for uh, for litigation on this. Uh, unfortunately, so. Um, but I thought Barry explained well that, you know, it's a, even if it is a growing need, it's a matter of location, right? So 508-996-0500 is how you get the program. We're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Speaking of that, okay, so yesterday there was a discussion. And it was basically on whether or not two people, because people are asking about Ron DeSantis and... Um, Ron DeSantis and uh, so Ron DeSantis and um, Donald Trump could run on the same ticket. There is currently no law prohibiting two people 
from running on the same ticket for president, right? There's currently no law prohibiting two people from the same, I mean, so uh, for, for running for president and vice president from the same state to be running on the same ticket. Uh, there is basically, um, there's no law or regulation, but there's some language in the electoral college system, which is stupid and is outdated, of course. Um, but in the electoral college system, it says the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons of whom shall at least not be inhabitant of the same state of themselves. So the, un, it's because under the original system, uh, electors didn't really distinguish between the candidates. Uh, the president and the vi- the president used to be the winner of the election. The vice president used to be the runner-up. So once the 12th Amendment was passed in 1804, they mandated electors cast separate ballots for president and vice president. But the rule preventing an elector from voting for two people from his home state remained in effect under the new system. So in most elections, this wouldn't matter um, because, uh, you know, the elections weren't particularly close. But in a close election, it could matter um, because there's that rule in the Constitution that is basically prohibiting... um, that is basically prohibiting electors from voting. So elect, I guess the, 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 the problem would be an elector from Florida couldn't vote for both DeSantis and Trump together. But there's no law prohibiting them from running on the same ticket. Also, if they were, I mean, it essentially doesn't really matter for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Trump can just change his address back to new york or whatever and two if they were that sold on running on the same ticket uh i don't think they'd be in this situation right now i don't see a unity ticket coming i don't think DeSantis wants anything to do with trump and i think trump likewise uh wouldn't even want to pick DeSantis, and trump obviously wouldn't run as a vice president himself so it's legal. There are some electoral college quirks that could come up if it's a close election, but it's unlikely. But it'd be unlikely to come up because um, they're not going to do it. So there, I guess, apparently was an issue. There could have been an issue in 2000 because Dick Cheney, uh, you know, when he was CEO of Halliburton before he left and ran for president, he was CEO of Halliburton and he, you know, he was living in Texas, paying taxes in Texas, where obviously George Bush was from. George W. Bush was from Texas. He was the governor of Texas. And uh, Cheney, but Cheney switched his driver's license to, uh, you know, he got a Wyoming driver's license, I think, shortly sometime shortly either before before the election, I think, got uh it, made his went back to his home state of Wyoming where of course he was um uh, you know he had grown up and served as a member of Congress in in the eighties. So that was the answer to that question. Uh it is legal. It could get murky, but there's nothing preventing it from happening. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. You know in an electoral tie, the House picks the president and the Senate picks the vice president. 
by the way. So if there was a dead heat electoral tie in this presidential election, you could have a Trump by a Trump Harris ticket. <laughs> Good. That could happen. You could have a Trump Harris ticket because the, the, the house would be under Republican control. So anyway, 508-996-0500. Actually, there is something interesting nationally that does, that could have an impact on us locally. I think that, um, I think it's worth mentioning, uh, just because it's interesting. So Nancy Pelosi has announced that she's not going to be seeking a party leadership role going forward in the House of Representatives. Republicans secured the House, which by a, by by it seems like a ma- a razor thin margin. Now, this the thing is is that it can't, like it's absolutely, I mean, it is It is absolutely embarrassing. The Republicans' performance, especially under these conditions, is embarrassing and I think reflective on the type of candidates that they've run in this election and reflective broadly on the type of platforms that they adopt uh, as a party being um, pretty re- repugnant. Uh, but getting the House is still a victory. It's going to be a mess. Kevin McCarthy is going to have to wrangle the votes to be Speaker. I think he's eventually, I think he's going to do it. There's been some infighting about it. He needs 218 votes, and uh, I think he's going to, I think they'll eventually uh, whip everybody in line. I know Matt Gates, the Florida congressman, said he doesn't have the votes and he won't get it, but and honestly, I frankly don't know what the problem is um, between, you know, Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy. But I think he's going to get the votes. I think he'll end up being the Speaker of the House. I remember last time he couldn't get the votes. I don't think a lot of people wanted to get behind him. And so they just randomly picked Paul Ryan. Uh, but And they picked Paul Ryan because Paul Ryan was the VP nominee in the last presidential election. So they're like, oh, let's pick Paul Ryan to be Speaker of the House. Uh, even though, you know, I don't think he was in a position of, I don't even know if he was in a position of leadership at the time. I, I mean, who could they, the Republicans pick Steve Scalise, you know, the guy who shows up at white supremacist rallies in uh, in Louisiana? I doubt it. So um, it'll probably be Kevin McCarthy. But on the, on the Democratic side, Nancy Pelosi says she's not seeking leadership. Now, I don't know if you remember this, and it's going. To, it, it could impact Massachusetts, the Massachusetts congressional dele- delegation. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but there was some debate in the 2018, you know, wave election for Democrats, where Democrats picked up about 40 something seats in Congress, and they had a they had a house they had the House majority, and they there was this discussion among people like you know the newcomers like AOC and Rashid Tlaib and. Uh, you know, the more progressive wing, the left flank of the party, not really wanting Nancy Pelosi to remain Speaker of the House. And so she had made an agreement, I think, to only serve a couple terms as Speaker and then be out. I don't know if... I didn't think she'd honor the agreement, and I don't know if this is her honoring the the agreement. She is like 80 or 80, 80 to maybe more over 80 years old. Uh, it probably is time for new leadership. She served... A total of, I mean, she served in the major. She served as the the party leader for about, I would say, about fifteen years, right? Eight of which she was speaker of the house. I think she took over as, I think she took over as, she took over as speaker in two thousand six. 
So that was the 06 midterm wave election with Bush. You know, Bush had all that bad stuff going on, the Iraq war and all of that. So uh, they had a ma- it was a massive historic election that they took both chambers pretty easily. And then they expanded on that that majority uh, in 2008 and had both chambers of the House and the presidency. But uh, so she's been in, in party leadership for at least 15 to 20 years. And she's been Speaker of the House for about eight years total. So she had four, four years from 2006 to 2010 and then another four years from 2018 to 2022. So I think it is a good time to step away. Uh, I think all three members of leadership, I think including Jim Clyburn, uh, so Steny Hoyer, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's definitely Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and Jim Clyburn are all stepping aside and uh, bringing up new leadership. Now, uh, there's a few names. Uh, you know, Hakeem Jeffries is one of the leaders in the House. He's from New- a congressman from New York, Pete Aguilar. But I think the next in line is Congresswoman and Assistant Speaker of the House, Catherine Clark from Massachusetts. Catherine Clark is the Assistant Speaker of the House, and should the Democrats retake the House majority in 2024, which, I mean, I think they have a pretty good, I think they have a pretty good shot at doing, Catherine Clark will be the next Speaker of the House. I I think she's in line for it, right? So she um she was vice chair of the House Democratic Caucus a few years back. She's the she's the she's from the House, the fifth um the fifth district of uh the fifth district is a northern Boston, basically northern Boston uh Boston suburbs. She's from Revere. There's, you know, I think Woburn uh maybe I think like yeah. I think Yeah, so Yeah, I think that that seat was originally also held by Ed Markey, I want to say. And and yeah, so Catherine Clark will be the, would be the next speaker of the house. Now, um, you know, Massachusetts had a few speakers of the house. Uh there was Tip O'Neill, there's that guy from Attleboro, I forget his name. Who's briefly speaker of the house? I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but uh, it's I I just think it's pretty interesting that when, you know, when the Democrats have the gavel, Massachusetts congressional delegation is usually in control of a lot of key areas of Congress. You had um, Jim McGovern, who's chair of the House Rules Committee. You have uh, um, you have Richie Neal, who writes the budget. He's the chair of the Ways and Means. He's chair of the Ways and Means, soon to be outgoing chair of Ways and Means. Um, Jake Ockenclaus is vice chair of financial services, and um, and uh, Bill Keating is chair of the. You know, he's on the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, and he's chair of the subcommittees on uh, Europe, um, Europe, the energy, uh, Europe, and uh, and energy. So, um, you know, I think it, it's. Says a lot about the people that we send to, um, I think, to Capitol Hill that uh, when the Democrats have the majority, when they have the gavel, they have they have Massachusetts basically runs the yard. All right, I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back. 
Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. During the season of... You don't have to stick by your radio to hear all of South Coast tonight. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSM app or download their podcast. South Coast Tonight continues now. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. Again, just uh, in case you're tuning in now and you want an update on the methadone clinic uh, proposal that was in front of the Zoning Board of Appeals, that decision was 5-0 to zero against the special permit. Five to zero against. There will undoubtedly be litigation that's going to be um, that is going to be brought by RCA. That methadone clinic was downtown was proposed to be. It still is proposed to be because there will be litigation downtown off a of Union Street at Fall River Pawnbrokers. If you don't know where that is, uh, you know it's probably about halfway down Union. Um, you know, just. Right after County Street. So you're going down Union, you're more in the Buttonwood Park uh, neighborhood. And then as, after you get uh, past County Street, it's basically right there on your right. Uh, so, I mean, there's issues, obviously. One is, you know, location. Uh, is there going to be a, um, is it going to be a privacy issue? And there's a few other issues with it as well. Hey, listen, I got to take a break and then I'll be right back. Here's what's happening this week on Town. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Actually, we'll just do a little bit of a primer now uh, since you're here, uh, Ben. We have Ben Burke from uh, the Publix Radio. That's Providence's NPR. Ben, how are you? I'm well, Marcus. So just give the audience a little bit of a preview. We've got about a minute and a half, a little bit of a preview of the story that we're going to talk about. Sure. So do you guys know the State Pier down in New Bedford? It's the big concrete dock at the end of Union Street. It's where the ferries to Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket come in and Cuddy Hunk. It's also where those giant cargo ships dock. That big space is going to be redeveloped in a couple of years if the politicians in New Bedford get their way. And right now, a lot of them have been basically fighting for control over who gets to call the shots on what goes there. And it's a prime piece of New Bedford's waterfront. And it could really change the face of the waterfront, um, depending on what gets built there. Yeah, I think that's a very, um, I think that's a, a, a very succinct description. And uh, you know what I think is interesting, and we can get into it a little bit more, is uh, at the in the second hour is that um, the local elected officials, some of them seem to have um, warring philosophies on how these transactions should move forward, basically, right? Yeah, you know, I I think they're upset about the way the decisions are being right. made more so than like the actual things. what's actually going on the pier. Although it's not like everybody's articulated their own individual vision for the pier yet. So who knows? Maybe the differences are there. But I, I yeah, didn't get well, that far. I, right? No, I know. Uh, but exactly, is is it's the way that these this potential transaction might be carried out that I think people are. I mean, the, these local electeds are are concerned about in particular. Um, so I think it's really interesting to 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 see you know where the state delegation's at and where the city's at on this, and sort of their. I think, I think it it's a cursory glance at perhaps uh, some of the uh, differences they might have when they're trying to work uh, work stuff out. So we will uh, get to that in the nine o'clock hour. So stay tuned. I'm here with Ben Burke on South Coast tonight.